I want you to place yourself in this picture that I have. Um, I want you to place yourself here on the sidewalk looking at this house on fire. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what do I do? What are you going to do? There's a house on fire and there's people in there and what are you going to do? You hear no sirens because the fire department's not coming. And as you look down the road each way, there's, there's no one coming. The police aren't coming. There's no one there to help except for you. And so what are you going to do? You have to make this decision to stand there and, and hope for the best, I suppose. You could run in there and do something. Um, you could try to get a, a garden hose and, and spray out this fire. But you come to the realization that you are the only one around. And you are the only one with the ability to make a difference. You know, Brandon read a verse last Sunday, and I want to go ahead and read that again today because that's the basis of our study today in the book of Jude. It says, And some have compassion, making a difference. And others, they save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that was spotted by the flesh. As I thought about this verse, there's the two things that, that stand out. Making a difference and saving with fear. I think that's our job. To make a difference, to save with fear. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. Making a difference. You know, as you look around the room today, you'll probably see people who made a difference in your life. I know that, that I do, very clearly. A multiple people that have made a difference in my life. Not just my life here on earth, but my spiritual life. People have made a difference for me. You know, my parents taught me about Christ. My parents taught me the scriptures when I was young. And they didn't do that because it's a good story or because it's just so much fun. That's not why they did that. We might have had fun at times doing that, but that's not the purpose behind them teaching me the scriptures. Let me tell you, they taught me the scriptures because they wanted to make a difference. Because they had compassion. They taught me the scriptures because they wanted to save my soul. Because they were fearful about what would happen, what would happen to my soul in eternity. That's why they taught me about Christ. Because of their love and because of their fear. And if you look around the room, you'll see people here that most likely made a difference in your life. And if you boil that down, you're going to find that they made a difference because they love you, they have compassion for you, and they were scared. They were fearful about what would happen to you if they didn't act. And so I want to talk about making a difference. My next question will be, who is in there? Put yourself back in front of this home. You're standing there on the sidewalk and you're looking in. Who's in the house on fire? Who's in there? I take another look around the room and I see a lot of family. 
I see a lot of friends. But what I also see is a bunch of people here who have family that's not here today. People that have family outside of these walls that is in the fire. And they're in trouble. And we have to have compassion. And we have to have fear. Because you know what? I want to make a difference. And I want to change somebody's life. Who is in the fire? It could be your brother or your sister that's in the fire. As you stand there and as you realize that you are the only one. Possibly the only one in the world that can make a difference. What will you do? Will you stand idly by? Will you hope for the best? Or will you do something? Do something. Folks, this could be your children in the fire. It could be your parents in the fire. Your aunt or your uncle or your best friend. And they're in danger. And they're in trouble. And you could quite possibly, quite possibly be the only one be the only one who's willing to go in after them. Who's willing to make a difference. And it's sad that we come up with excuses. We come up with fears of our own for why we might not try to tell somebody about Christ. We come up with excuses that become bigger than our amount of love, that become bigger than our fear that we have for them. We'll say things like, well, I thought that's what we had evangelists for. I thought that's what the elders and deacons were supposed to do. They're the ones supposed to have Bible studies. That on the left there that, that got cut off a little bit, it says, that's not my job. Okay, look, I, I will lead a song. I'll even preach occasionally. But please don't ask me to invite somebody to church. Please don't ask me to make a difference in somebody's life. You might say, well, that's, that's really not my thing. I, I'll come here on Sunday and I'll try to do the best I can, but it's not really my thing. That's out of my comfort zone to tell somebody about Christ. That's out of my comfort zone to ask somebody to study the Scriptures. And I find that a lot of us might say, well, I don't even know what I would do. I don't even know what I would say. If it's up to me to make a difference, I'm not, I'm not sure what I would do. And I want to study this this morning. I've got three points that I'd like to talk about today. The first is don't sit idly by. If you're going to do nothing, do something. The window of opportunity will close, will be our second point. And finally, we'll talk about and we'll ask the question, is it really my responsibility to make a difference? Is it really my responsibility to save with fear? In the book of Mark, chapter 8, it says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We read here the great cost, the great price, how important and how valuable the soul is. And how there's not an amount of money, there's not a dollar amount, there's not an amount of gold or pearls that you can put on the price of the soul. It has more valuable, or it has more value rather, than anything else. And we think about how 
Um, we need to live our lives and follow after Christ. We need to obey Him and each of His commandments because our soul is so valuable. But I want to tell you this morning, other people's souls are just as valuable. The value of that soul that's in the fire, there's no number on it. There's no quantity on it. There's nothing that can match it. There's nothing that can match it. It's truly the pearl of great price. <clears throat> and so I want to, you to imagine, and I want you to think of somebody specific in your life that's in the fire. Someone that you have a good relationship with. It could be someone that you have a broken relationship with. Somebody that you no doubt care about, that you have compassion for, someone that you time to time have fear about what will happen to that person in eternity. Because I want to tell you, as I've said multiple times, you could possibly be the only person who could make a difference in their eternity. And so I say, don't sit idly by. Don't sit idly by. The last thing that you need to do, the last thing that you can do is stand there and watch the house burn. That's the last thing that you can do. In Proverbs chapter 26, it says, The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. I believe the, the lesson here rings true for this um, purpose as well. The slothful man, as it says in verse 14, I don't have on here, it says he, he just wants to lay, lay around in bed. He wants to be lazy. He wants to sit around. He wants things given to him. He doesn't want to work for it. The scriptures plainly teach us that we need to work. And he says, I can't go out there. I can't go work and make a living. There's, there's danger outside of my house. There's danger outside of my home. There's danger outside of my comfort zone. And we say this many times. When we consider telling somebody about Christ, we think, I, I can't do that. I, I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to say something wrong. Something, something will go wrong. Let me tell you, folks, if we, if we sit around and worry about what might go wrong, we'll never save anybody. We will never save a single soul if we can only focus about what's going to go wrong. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, it's, Jesus says here, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's a few things that I want to take away from this verse today. As Jesus speaks here, He says, let your light so shine before men. We, we read this verse a lot. We reference this verse a lot. We think about this verse a lot. We tell people a lot, let your light shine don't hide your light. Let it shine. And not to downgrade anything in the book of Matthew. I, I don't intend that at all. But I think we need to change the way that we read this verse. We need to change our way of thinking when we say let your light shine. We oftentimes like to go out in the world, go to our day-to-day -day job, and we like to let our light shine. And we like to hope that somebody will see that. And we, we just hope for the best. And we can, in good conscience, it seems go out and try to live a good life and hope that somebody will see our light. You know, there's 
I've heard it said many times, and I don't mean to downgrade this at all either, but people say, we might be the only Bible that people ever read. Well, that's great. If, if we're the only Bible that they ever read, whoop-de-doo. That doesn't make a difference in their life. We need to be the Bible that they study with. Don't let your light shine, folks. Today, shine your light. Don't hope for the best. Shine your light with purpose. When you go into your job on Monday morning, you shine your light with purpose. You go in with the attitude that I'm going to let my light shine. Furthermore, Jesus says here, shine your light that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus says to let your light shine is to glorify God. And I agree wholeheartedly with that, but to shine your light with purpose is to have compassion. To shine your light with purpose is to save with fear and to make a difference. And that's what we're called to do. Not only to glorify God, while that is incredibly, incredibly important, our job is to shine our light with purpose, to make a difference, to save with fear. In the book of John, chapter 15, Jesus says again, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Jesus says, don't sit idly by. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be one of mine, you will bear fruit. You will be working you will be active. You won't only just hoping that your light shines, but you will be shining your light with a purpose. You will be bearing fruit. You will be showing your love and your joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, your meekness to others with purpose instead of sitting idly by. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse number 10, we read how the window of opportunity, it will close. There's no doubt, there's no getting around it. The window of opportunity will close. It says there, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. You know, Dad and I were talking to Kenneth on Friday. And uh, he looked at me at one point, Kenneth did, and he said, remember this. He said, one of these days you won't be able to sit here and have a conversation with your dad. You won't be able to have a meaningful conversation with him. So remember that. And we talk about that a lot with our, with our loved ones. One day they won't be here any longer. They'll be gone. And our chances to visit with them, our chances for them to tell us stories about our childhood or, or whatever it is, they'll, they'll just be gone. And it's sad how quickly that seems to happen, but the same can be said about our window to tell somebody about Christ. It is closing. There will be a day when we're in the grave where there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave, and we can't tell anyone. John 9, chap, uh, chapter 9, excuse me, um, Jesus says here, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is the day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says a very similar verse as we read in Ecclesiastes. He says, I'm going to work while I still can while it is the day because the night's coming. The time is coming when I cannot work any longer. The time is coming when your grandparents and your parents will no longer be here. The time is coming when you will no longer be here. 
And the time is coming when those in the fire will no longer be here. And the window will shut. And the chances will be over. Your intentions to tell somebody about Christ, your intentions to shine your light will vanish. And they will become obsolete. Also in James chapter 4 verse number 14 says there, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. If our life is a vapor, if our life is, is over so quickly, as it says here in James, how much more quickly will our window of opportunity be over? If your life is only a vapor, then how long do you have to tell that coworker about Christ? How long do you have to tell your brother or your sister about Christ? How long do you have to tell your children about Christ? How long do you have to reach out to your parents or your brother-in-law or your sister-in-law about Christ? Folks, the window, the window is very, very small. So don't sit idly by because the window will close. And so I want to ask you, do you have a responsibility? I want to read out of the book of Matthew, chapter 25. I don't have these verses on the screen this morning, so if you'd like to grab a Bible, that'd be great. We'll turn over to Matthew chapter 25. We'll start in verse number 41. Jesus says again here, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, Verily I say unto you, as much, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. Jesus says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. I think he answers pretty plainly if we have a responsibility to minister to those around us. And I get that he's talking about a slightly different subject here, but I think the, the lesson is there. That it is our job, it is our responsibility as Christians to help others, to be there for others. Before the window of opportunity closes, instead of sitting idly by, it's our responsibility to minister, to do something to not stand in front of the house and hope for the best. To not stand in front of the house and cry out for help. But to do something. Jesus says here in Luke chapter 13, verse number 3, And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. We've established that it's our responsibility. We've established that it's our job as Christians to bear fruit. I think that's pretty plain. It's our responsibility not to sit idly by while the window is closing. But Jesus says that we must bear fruit. Let me tell you folks, if you're out bearing fruit today, well, well done. 
That's a great and that's a commendable thing to do. But Jesus says a Christian that's not bearing fruit, it's this, this is the truth. There's no getting around it. There's no way to escape it. If you're a Christian and you're not bearing fruit, you will be cut down. This isn't just a responsibility just to save others. This is a responsibility that you owe to yourself. This is a responsibility for the, the well-being of your own soul as well, of course, as others. Also in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says here, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Many people think and believe that the Great Commission was not sent for you and I today. But that's simply just not true. The Great Commission is, is for you and I. The Great Commission is, is for Garland Dukes. It's for Caressa McCarter. The Great Commission is for you. He says there, in verse number 20, Jesus, that is, says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He wouldn't have said that to the apostles. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. He said that to us as well as the Christians of the day. It is your job to go. It is your job to teach. It is your job to study and to baptize those who are in the fire. It's your job to have compassion. And it's your job to have fear to make a difference and to save with what you have with the Scriptures today. That is just simply our job. That is simply our responsibility. There's no getting around that. <clears throat> As we close this morning, I want to read a few verses out of Luke chapter 16. We see several men here, one in particular, who wishes for more time, who wishes that his window wasn't closed, who is so clearly full of regret. And we'll read that in just a moment. It makes me think and it reminds me of a song um, that I really enjoy. Y'all may have heard of Doyle Lawson. He's a bluegrass, uh, bluegrass gospel guy. He's got a song called Wait a Little Longer, Please Jesus. And the chorus goes, Wait a little longer, please Jesus. There's so many still wondering out in sin. Wait a little longer, please, Jesus, just a few more days to get my loved ones in. This needs to be the attitude we have. I'm not just saying that for fun. I'm not just saying that because it's the responsibility that we have to teach others. This needs to be the attitude that we have. And if you don't take that from me, if you don't believe that from what I've showed you this morning, believe that from a man full of regret. Believe that from a man who wishes the window wasn't closed. And that man is the rich man in Luke chapter 16. As we start in, the, in verse number 24, the rich man is crying. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. If you remember... Prior to verse number 24, um, when the rich man was still alive, when Lazarus was still alive, Lazarus laid outside the gates of the rich man's home. And he desired to be fed from the crumbs which fell from his table. 
Well, that reminds me of Matthew chapter 25. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. And I imagine that the um, excuses that we've talked about today are ones that I think the rich man probably used. Um, I think the attitude um, that we've expressed this morning is one that the rich man clearly didn't have, especially for Lazarus. And you hear this regret as he sits there now in torment. And in verse number 25, Abraham said, Son, remember thou, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, this is the rich man speaking, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You can hear the regret that the rich man has. You can hear now some attributes that he should have had before um, that he has now. He seems compassionate now. He seems fearful now. But it was all too late. The window was closed. His chances were over. And this rich man who we describe Every single time we talk about him in a selfish way, in a selfish light, a man who's not even willing to feed a beggar outside of his home, he becomes compassionate. He becomes fearful. And he stops thinking about himself once he realizes that the window is closed. Once he realizes that the door is shut. Once Abraham tells him in verse number 26 that there's a great gulf, you can't come back and we can't send anyone to you. The chances are over, Abraham says. It's done. And he gets compassionate and he gets fearful and he stops thinking about himself. And when it's too little too late, all he cares about is his family. All that the rich man cares about is who is in the fire. What can we do? I get it. He understands. And he comes to terms with the fact that he cannot leave. That the great gulf is too wide and too big. That he cannot escape. That no one can come to him and that he cannot leave. And all he's worried about is who's in the fire. What can we do? If there's anything that we can do, let's do it. And all the excuses that he might have had begin to disappear. Begin to be obsolete. You notice that Lazarus doesn't say, well, it's not my job to talk to my brethren. It's not my job to minister to Lazarus. Um, it's not really my thing to, to tell my brothers about Christ. It's not really my job. I thought that we had evangelists who did that. And let me tell you, the last thing he's worried about is, what would I say? What would I do? It's the last thing that he's worried about. If he had a chance, if only he had the opportunity to speak to his brothers, his last thought is, what would I say? 
Because very clearly, this man who is in torment, who is desperate, he just wants to make a difference. Look at this man. If you don't take it from me, take it from the rich man. Full of regret and full of torment, he just wants to make a difference. He just wants to save his family. He just wants one last chance and he can't have it. Folks, it is your job. It is your job today to make a difference. It is your job today to save with fear. It is your job. There's no escaping it. Folks, it, it might not seem easy, but the Scriptures say, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. God recognizes that not everyone is willing to be saved. Some people in this fire are cozy, and they're comfortable, and they like it there. And our Lord recognizes that, and He says, you plant, you water, and I will give the increase. He says, it's not your job to die for their sins. It's not your job to do everything for them. It is your job only to make a difference. He's given us the easiest part, the most simple part of their salvation, the most simple steps in their salvation. Pointing them in the right direction, lending them a helping hand is all that he's asked us to do. And as we close this morning, I want to ask you, who's in the fire? And will you do something? Or will you sit idly by? I don't suppose anyone can hear, here can say they don't know somebody in the fire. They don't know somebody that they can make a difference with. For some of us, they're people who are very, very dear and near to our hearts. Why don't we make a difference today? I want to extend this challenge to you this morning. For this next week, I want you to ask one person, one person in your life, do you like to study the Bible? That gives you something to say. It's simple, it's easy, it's quick. If you don't know what to say, if you're embarrassed, if, whatever it might be. Ask one person this week, do you like to study the Bible? And don't be worried about their, what they're going to say. I'll tell you what they're going to say. One of a few things. They're going to say, yes, I like to study the Bible. And when they say yes, you go, great, so do I. Let's study the Bible together sometime. I would love to, to have a Bible study. If they don't say yes, they're going to say no. And if you say, well, why not? Oh, it's, it's very important. And I would love to sit down and study the Bible with you sometime. Or they might say, well, yes, or sort of, but I, I don't enough, or I don't often have a lot of time to do that. And if they say that, then you say, neither do I. I like to study it, but I, I don't have, I don't enough as well. And so ask this question to, to somebody this week, and try week by week to find a new person, and it could be the same person that you work on, but try to do that. And folks, if you're simply not comfortable enough leading a Bible study, that's okay. That's okay. There's people here who would love to do that. Um, if you'd like to ask me, I would love to have a Bible study with somebody and for you to, for you to sit in um, on that Bible study as well. So this is my challenge 
to you this week. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.